Once you file the provisional application, it serves as a placeholder. Trademarks you can file almost any time. They're based on use. You want the ability to talk about it, to present about it. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart, an intellectual property attorney specializing in patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, not a lawyer, but I work at Gearhart Law and I have my own startup. Welcome to Passage to Profit. I'm so excited that you're here tonight. We have a very, very, very special program for you. We have experts from Gearhart Law answering your questions about intellectual property. These people are are off the charts brilliant. You are going to just be bursting with IP knowledge by the time you finish listening to this podcast. But before we get into it, I'd like each member of our team to introduce themselves, starting with David. David? Yes. Hi, everybody, and welcome. Thank you, Rich and Elizabeth. My name is David Pistolsky. I am an intellectual property and patent attorney at Gerhard Law. I've been a partner there for a few years, and my passion is education and empowerment. I am a professor at various universities, and I'm overjoyed to be here and to help all of you. Thanks. Awesome. James? Yeah, I'm also a partner at Gerhardt Law. I've been with the firm for almost a decade now. Uh, great place to work. And, <laughs> and you're I'm still here. So <laughs> still here. Yep. And my background's in biochem and molecular biology. Wow. Like I said, super smart. Ashley? Hi, my name is Ashley Spurbeck. I'm an associate here at Gearheart Law. I've been here almost three years, and I have about 10 years experience in tech areas ranging from small molecule chemistry to blockchain technologies, and I love helping new inventors. We can hardly wait to get started. So Elizabeth, can you tell our audience about this special program? Yes, normally we don't tape in front of a live audience or allow any questions from the audience. But today we're doing it because we just thought it would be a fun thing to try. This is the first time we're trying it. And actually, Kenya did research and there isn't a podcast that has this kind of format. So we're groundbreaking today with a brand new podcast format. It'll go on the Passage to Profit podcast. So we'll see what happens. And I'm ready to get to questions. Yeah, Everybody? let's get started. So let's start with Janetta. Welcome, Janetta. Hello, everyone. My name is Janetta Warren. I'm the founder and CEO of JW Professional Writing Services. We specialize in writing resumes, cover letters, and optimizing LinkedIn profiles. If you are a job seeker and you need to stand out from the competition, contact JW Professional Writing Services at 1-833-597-7767. Okay, so what is your question for the group? My question is really simple. I just want to know the nuances. My question is, what is the difference between intellectual property and copywriting? I think our partner, Dave Postowski, would be an excellent commentator on that question. Thank you for your question, Janetta. So, it is a simple answer. Let's start with the premise that there are four forms of intellectual property. Intellectual property being the things that come out of your intellect. You have the ability to let the government know that it is your property, that is something that you get to protect. So the four forms of intellectual property is patents, trademarks, copyrights. So copyright is a form of intellectual property to answer your question and trade secret. Each of them has different requirements, different processes, different costs, different procedures. Each of them give you a specific type of protection, but copyright falls under the umbrella of intellectual property. Does anybody else in the audience have a question? Hi, everybody. 
I'm a programmer, programming for the NIH, but in my spare time, I like to do my own personal projects. So I had a question, just a broad question for you guys. Um, I like to trade stocks in my spare time. And recently I purchased access to a stock trading algorithm that uses publicly available data to calculate some trading metrics. Um, I was able to reverse engineer the algorithm in the programming language of my choice. And I want to publish my project publicly, but I'm worried that the vendor that I use to get access to the algorithm might have an issue with that. So I guess what advice would you have for me in this situation? Wow, that is an amazing question. James? Yeah, that is a good question. For starters, uh, when you say open source or publicly available, I mean, are you aware that there's no copyrights or other intellectual property rights attached to that? Um, I believe so. So this guy basically wrote uh, an algorithm and a script on mm -hmm. a platform, but the data that you can put into the script is publicly available. And so the script is just a bunch of math operations and so i see my you're, you're going to take it and want to publish you know your own modifications to it right yeah and it's a completely different programming language as well um, but yeah i mean it's literally just math operations in a specific order using data available to anybody okay so. got it yeah definitely that's that's great and you know we're going to operate again off the assumption that there's no overriding or superseding you know property right you know attached to anything but you know in terms of what you create in terms of you know what qualifies as a copyright there has to be a certain threshold for originality or there has to be some level of artistic input or endeavor to create an original work of authorship to allow you to get a copyright on the same thing right and so there's not a bright line test per se, but what you're describing sounds like you're doing what's required to likely meet the threshold uh, for something like that. Of course, to give a full opinion and evaluation, you know, we'd have to look at that individually more thoroughly, but uh, assuming everything checks out, you could definitely apply for a copyright on the same. Particularly, you know, we'd be probably looking at uh, the source code uh, as it relates to, you know, what you're developing. So would I get in trouble if I published my project on GitHub publicly. Again, uh, operating off the assumption that uh, what you're using is free and clear and uh, no overriding uh, intellectual property rights that, you know, are attributable to a third party, uh, then you should be able to do that. I believe I saw Victor's hand up. Victor, do you have a question? Hi, everybody. Victor Urbach. And I have, like, you know, an okay knowledge of IP, mainly because I've worked with David Stalski on a design patent, and he's a good educator and gave me, you know, good basic understanding of patent options. One thing that I never really seriously considered before was doing a provisional patent application. And uh, just finished reading Warren Tuttle's new book, um, Venture Confidential, and he's really rah-rah about going for provisional patents. You know, I kind of wanted to get maybe some discussion around this of when is a provisional appropriate for an inventor, uh, when to go for you know full application, a utility patent. And more in total, he's biased toward licensing inventions rather than you know commercializing them yourself. And I don't know how that plays into this decision making either. So that's, that's my question. Yeah, that's an excellent question. Do you want to say the name of your company? It's Inventive Goods. Excellent. So I think we should give that to Ashley. She hasn't had a chance to answer anything yet. So Ashley Spurbeck has been writing patents for 10 years. 
and many provisionals and non-provisionals. So Ashley, can you please address the question? Yes, of course. That's a great question. I appreciate you raising that. So provisional patent is very helpful if you're in the process of creating your invention, you might add something to it. Once you file the provisional application, it serves as a placeholder. So you have 12 months or one year from that point in order to add things to your invention before you file the full non-provisional patent at the USPTO, which is what gets examined by an examiner. So can we have David pitch into on the licensing piece? Yeah, I think to add to Ashley's answer to Victor's question, I think one of the other big reasons or a few big reasons why you file a provisional is one related to funding. Some people or some companies need the additional year yet have the protection in order to approach investors and try to get additional funding for the next stage of their patent process. Uh, So that's one big reason. Um, The other uh, probably most important reason is protection. You want the ability to speak about it. You want the ability to talk about it, to present about it. And so having that placeholder, as Ashley said, is really, really important. You know, I often say to people that if your invention is complete and you don't necessarily need a year to kind of figure out how it's going to work, then yes, maybe go straight to what's called the non-provisional, as Ashley mentioned. But for the other reasons we just mentioned, sometimes even if your invention is complete, but you want to raise money and you want to talk about it publicly or whatever you want to do, even filing the provisional at that stage is probably a good strategy as well. I wanted to go to Richard for a minute and see if he had any success stories from our clients who have maybe tried to go straight to licensing rather than develop the project themselves, as Victor mentioned. We have lots of examples of clients that have successfully concluded license agreements. In the area of consumer products, I won't go into any detail about names, but we've certainly had many toys, for example, successfully licensed. We've had pharmaceuticals successfully licensed. And it really works best when you're trying to license a consumer product if you have a prototype, because the person who is taking the license or the company that's taking the license is taking a little bit of a risk by taking your product on. And when you're trying to license your product, you're competing with other people who are also trying to license their product. So having a a prototype is really important. That way, a prospective license taker can see it, understand how it works, and get an impression of, of what it's like to really have this product. And that makes a big difference in moving the process forward. I think that if you're going to pursue a license, trying to license a consumer product, you should have a prototype, which is like a first design of the product so that the people you're trying to license to can completely understand it. Wendy Sher had sent in a question, so maybe I'll read Wendy's question for her. So her question was, how can I go from a very small beginning in my home to test my concept and patent it? And that is a very big question, actually, with a lot of parts. So why don't we start with James? Yeah, it is. It is a big question, as you said, Elizabeth, and it almost touches on on Victor's question, you know, a little bit and and what David said around, you know, funding and how best to proceed with, you know, a provisional and and what you need to do. You know, the short of it is, we could say definitively what you need to do, you know, to take a business from your garage, you know, all the way to the stratosphere, you know, I'd be a very wealthy man, 
right? If I had the crystal ball to be able to predict that. Uh, the fact of the matter is, you know, every, every case is going to be a little unique, right? And you have to decide what type of technology you have and how you're going to then capitalize on that technology. Are you going to be seeking investors, right? Do you need strategic partners or relationships? Perhaps if you're referring to testing, maybe with a university or a laboratory, you know, do you need to seek, I believe I said, outside investment? Do you need to pursue intellectual property rights before you approach a third party? Or are you just going to bootstrap it, you know, yourself right from the ground? Uh, the question is oftentimes for individual inventors, is that feasible, right? Is it feasible to work out of your garage and, and do that sort of thing? And it ultimately, in, in my opinion, many of times depends on the product and the technology that you're dealing with. Oftentimes, you know, consumer products uh, can be produced, right? We have clients who will produce or have manufactured uh, products in China, for example. They'll set up their own distribution. They'll bring it into the country. They'll get it around. And it's a great success for them. And they're able to scale from there on out, depending on your capabilities and needs. Like I said, maybe a university or research lab is really going to have the equipment that you're going to need. And that may not be, one, viable for home use, or two, may violate some zoning laws or other issues. So <laughs> yeah. you, don't want, you, don't, you don't want any explosions in your garage, <laughs> right? Right, exactly. So I do hope that answers it, you know, from my perspective. Certainly, we could discuss your individual needs maybe closer, you know, to align exactly with what you're looking for. But I think that should hopefully, you know, kind of cover it. Okay, Ashley, do you want to pitch in on this? a little? Yeah, definitely. So going off of James's point, it's really helpful to see what sort of IP you can get for your idea. So one of the beginning stages there would be either doing a patent search, trademark search, or copyright search, just to really see what's out there. And if it is feasible to essentially design around or get IP protection for your invention. Can we pivot back to Sean really quick? Yeah. Hi, Sean. I've heard that products can be vulnerable to copyright and patent infringement on an international level, particularly in China. So I'm just wondering how I can protect my products from being exploited by people internationally. I'm going to throw this one to both David and Richard. David, be my guest. Yeah, Sean, probably the number one question of any inventor or creator or business owner is how do I protect myself from infringers in China? And the simple answer is the only way to really do that, the only way to really stop someone in China from exploiting your patent, trademark, or copyright is to have the corresponding Chinese patent, trademark, or copyright in China. That's how it is for every country. We are living in a territorial system. So if you want to protect yourself from infringers in a particular country, you must file your patent, trademark, or copyright in that country in order to get into the court system in that country in order to stop the infringer. You can, if you do not have the corresponding patent, trademark, or copyright in China in this hypothetical, you can still do business in China. You can still market in China. You can still sell your product in China. However, it will be selling and marketing your product in a country where you're unable to stop infringers. So as you could imagine, the number one country that most of our U.S.-based clients file their intellectual property in, in addition to the United States, is China. 
for whatever that's worth, my uh, take on the whole thing is that you should be filing in countries where you have a potential market, not just where you are afraid of infringers. You should file in countries where you are manufacturing or producing. That should be a place that you file. You should be filing in countries where you're exporting from or importing to, something like that. But yeah, un unfortunately, the only way to stop an infringer in a court of law in a particular country is to have the corresponding intellectual property there as well. Can yeah, they file they a get, claim against me? That's a good question. Can they file a claim against him? If they don't have their intellectual, like we'll use China as the hypothetical just to follow it through the thread. If you didn't file in China, but you are selling in China and that other company that's also selling something similar also does not have a registered form of intellectual property, then there's no claim that they can file against you either. So the question will be, what do they have in China that could potentially stop you? Maybe they filed for a trademark and not the patent, but there is no way in the world, the only way in the world to stop someone from doing what you're doing, from making what you're making, from creating what you're creating is to have the registered form of intellectual property. Otherwise, nobody can do anything to anybody. So it's a really good uh, golden stick for sure. Richard, what do you think? I was just going to reiterate everything that you said. It, it was perfect. I did want to point out by knowing who you do business with, there are certain companies in China that are more reputable. And so if you don't have a lot of experience, you need to find an agent that can help you connect with somebody who's a reliable and reputable manufacturer. And, you know, hopefully then that won't be so much of a problem because the intellectual property system in China is improving. We're seeing trends in trademark damages, for example, improving. In general, the Chinese government seems to be emphasizing strong intellectual property rights because now their society is starting to create things. And by creating things, now they want to protect them. But, you know, in addition to getting the intellectual property, know who you're doing business with, have a good contract, and hopefully they have a presence in the USA so you could also sue them in U.S. as opposed to suing them in China. You are listening to Passage to Profit, the Inventor Show on WOR 710, the voice of New York. We will be right back after this message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to 
looking to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We had a question submitted to us over email from Maria Casabona, who is an investor in the Northern New Jersey entrepreneurial system. And he said, filing an international patent like a PCT implies that the patent is granted. It is my understanding that a PCT filing provides additional time to apply to each country of interest. So I think we need to unwrap that a little bit. James? You know, there is no such thing as like an international patent or simply by filing a PCT application, you don't have any patent rights conferred onto you. What the PCT does do is give you a delayed decision-making time to decide what countries you do need patent protection in. And when you file in those countries within a prescribed timeframe, typically within at least 18 months of the filing of the PCT application, you're able to take advantage of that filing date from the initial PCT filing. What ends up happening is, let's say, for example, you file a PCT application, but then decide you need to file in Canada, Mexico, China, and Japan. In order to get patent rights in those countries, you need to file a targeted application in each one of those countries, which means you have to pay the fees for each country. You may have to get a translation of the application. Every country is going to be a little different and have its own fees and quirks in the process. And, you know, in in some, that's what you're going to need to do, you know, from the PCT stage in order to ensure that you get patent rights conferred onto you after the filing of the PCT application. David does a lot of our international work. So I'm going to ask David, first of all, could you say what the initials PCT stand for? And then Mario had said filing an international patent like a PCT implies the patent is granted. Could you address both of those points, please? Yeah. So just a 30,000 foot view, the PCT stands for the Patent Cooperation Treaty. And it was a treaty signed in 1970. And it was signed by about 154 countries, where each of those countries would agree to abide by the same legal requirements needed in order to get a patent. And that's often referred to as an international patent application. But to Mario's first point, just because you file an international patent application does not mean that you have a granted patent. To expand on what James says, you must actually file in one of those 154 countries, get examined in one of those countries, and then achieve a grant in those countries. I think Mario must have read that on Facebook, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was on the internet, it's true. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for sure, there's a lot of misnomers about like, oh, there's global patents and I just have to file a PCT and I have protection in every single country in the world. I got a global patent. That's what they wanted. And none of the individual countries wanted that. It just never panned out. Yeah, and it makes sense because every patent office in the world, including the United States, is self-funded, right? So so you have have to, so, so, so every patent office has to charge its own fees. Everybody has a sense of pride. Every country has a sense of pride in, you know, examining the patent for what it's worth. 
And so it and is there's uh, different capital- standards, too. I mean, yeah. they all have their own different rules and they don't want to let go of them. So probably not a global patent in our lifetime. Maybe we should move on to Teresa Davis, who's a Garrett Law client. I love your products. I hope that you can introduce your company and tell us what your product is and then ask your question, Teresa. Thank you so much. My name is Teresa Davis. I am the founder and inventor of Cover Me Clean LLC. What we do is car seat covers, child car seat covers, as well as covers of any sort. Also tray covers for like airplanes and hospital trays or any type of tray you want to use it for. Now, my question was that the agent portion of it. So I was, thank you all Gearhearts. Lord, thank you. I was granted my patent for China. Yay! That's awesome. <laughs> I'm excited about that. So my question is, is I heard you say that you need to find an agent or someone who is familiar with that location in order to start manufacturing or things of, and of that nature. We happen to know somebody who does that. <laughs> I think so. Teresa knows that same person too. <laughs> the wonderful Lisa Ascalise, who we all know and love. Yes. But yeah. it is hard to find an agent you can trust, Teresa. I mean, I don't want to jump in and answer because I'm not on the panel. <laughs> but here I am. But if you didn't know somebody who knew an agent that you could know and trust, how would you find an agent you could know and trust? I think the best way to answer that question is to look around. I mean, we've always relied on Lisa and she's been flawless. People that have done manufacturing in China, if they have an agent and they're happy with that agent, then you could probably get a referral from them. So we have a couple of different people that we can recommend, but if you want to try it on your own, you could definitely ask them. And we also have clients that have manufactured in China. And we'd be happy to make inquiries for you that way too, because it's so far away. It's a different language. It's a different world. It's in some ways, it's still the wild west out there. So you really want to make sure that you're working with somebody good. We had a client who used the wrong agent and she had a game made in China. All of the product came back totally wrong. And she still, after 15 years, has a container load of this product sitting somewhere because it's just unsellable. Mm -hmm. So if you don't take the time to pick the right people, sometimes they'll send samples and you'll approve the samples. And then what gets made is different from the samples. You really got to have somebody in there who knows what they're doing. You're listening to Passage to Profit, the inventor show on WOR 710, the voice of New York. And we'll be back with more Passage to Profit right after this. Hi. I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later, and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not? make it you. If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. 
There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by an attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to profit. So there was one more question. If I only have so much money, should I get a trademark or a patent? I go full patent because there's a lot of deadlines associated with patents. And if you disclose it at the wrong time, you can run afoul of one of these deadlines. Trademarks, you can file almost any time. They're based on use. So as soon as you start using the mark, you have trademark rights. Depending on your situation, I usually counsel that you get the patent on file first, at least do a search, and then get the patent on file. And you know, wait until your budget allows for the trademark. Excellent. Yeah, this has been a great conversation. These were excellent questions, everybody. And we really enjoyed doing this. I think our team had a lot of fun. I learned so much from you guys today. Before we go, I want to thank all of our Zoom participants. It was just lovely having you with us today. And I'd also like to do a special shout out to Noah Fleischman, our producer, Alicia Morrissey, our program coordinator, who's here with us. Hi, Alicia. And Chatterboss, our video editor, and the whole iHeart team. Passage to Profit on iHeartRadio, WOR 710, the voice of New York.